something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Sean McEwen, and I'm the writer, director, and one of the producers of the feature film American Outlaws, which is coming out in select theaters on Friday, September the 15th. You can also see it from the comfort of your own home on video on demand, Apple, iTunes, and Amazon, etc. cetera. Uh, the Doherty Gang is a uh, feature film story based on the true life events of three siblings, Ryan Doherty, Dylan Doherty, and Lee Grace Doherty, who back in a little over a decade ago, they went on a cross-country crime spree um, where they were robbing banks. And uh, each one of them are currently serving an excessive amount of time, 30 plus years in three separate uh, federal prisons. The reason I'm here today is for a couple of reasons. One is we do have a, a feature film is coming out, Select Theaters, on the 15th of September, Friday. Also, uh, it will be available for home viewing in the VOD video on demand space. You can go to Apple, uh, also to Amazon and check out the film. We think it's an extraordinary film because it does fit in that true crime space uh, based on a true story. I had the very good opportunity, as people might recollect from the podcast, of working and getting to know directly the actual individuals that were involved in the real true events, uh, including Ryan Lee, Grace, and Dylan. I got very close with each of them, close with some of their family members and some of the other individuals that were involved in the story. What's interesting about talking today in particular is the fact that there are some updates just to kind of see where things have gone. From the original events that we portrayed in the earlier episodes of the podcast, you know, there's a lot of time has passed, a lot of change, a lot of growth, um, which I kind of find interesting even from a psychological standpoint, a human interest standpoint. I'll start with um, Lee Grace. Uh, Lee Grace has definitely acclimated, I think, to the prison life, if you will. Each of the siblings are currently uh, still facing various charges, not all the same charges, but various charges with some other states. Again, even a decade later, this is still ongoing legal problems and issues and complications that they did cross state lines, which created uh, you know, a federal dynamic here that they have to deal with. So that still hangs over their head. As I mentioned earlier, they're each serving terms that are roughly between 30 and 35 years apiece. So they do have the opportunity to eventually pay their debt to society and get out of prison 
However, they will be much more advanced in age, obviously, um, at that point. So back to Lee Grace in particular, I think she's acclimated quite nicely to the uh, prison system. She's made a lot of friends. She has some contacts and some pen pals, shall we call them, on the outside. I think that's kind of her lifeline. I think a big part of the story and the thing that interested all of us from the beginning is family. She still is very connected to her brothers, as in contact with them on a fairly regular basis. They write letters to each other. That's obviously the primary way that they're able to communicate or to communicate through other family and friends and to kind of, you know, pass, you know, messages on and the word on, check in on and those kind of things. But it still is that that mantra of family first. They all still talk like that and how important family is to them and how much they love each other. And that's a, a big part of it. I think then for um, Dylan has one time he was in uh, South Carolina. He's moved around a bit. He's currently in a federal prison in Wisconsin. That's a little challenging because he's far away from his home base where some of his relatives are more in the Florida area, including his his nephew, Eric, um, who's Ryan's son. So I know that's challenging for him. If I'm stating this correctly on his behalf, I think he's hoping at some point to get everything kind of taken care of. And then he can hopefully make some kind of transfer a little closer to um, home base. And, and again, where he has that support system in place. But I'd say he's even, dare I say, a tough cookie. It sounds like an oxymoron of a statement, but he's thriving in the position that he's in. I find him, this is my personal opinion, if I dare say, that he's very conciliatory and repentive, if you will, about the events that occurred. He's, you know, understands he has to pay his debt to society. I think all the siblings have a perspective and and I know the argument can be made who wouldn't that I, I've used the word excessive. I don't mean to bleed my own opinion to this, but you know, they got a lot of time. They deserve to be in prison. I think we can all agree on that, but they definitely got the book pretty thrown at them and the argument could be made, again, I'm not trying to politicize anything, that people have done a lot worse crimes and gotten less time. But that being said, they did some things that were not good, that were bad. And people, while they weren't hurt, could have gotten very seriously hurt or even killed. And they do, you know, again, deserve to be where they are. I'm seeing, and I've known them now for, oh gosh, I want to say eight plus years, uh, seeing change, seeing growth, seeing kids turn into adults. And that's been fascinating to see that, to see that perspective, that wisdom, that understanding is, has been really interesting to see, but exciting to see too, just that growth. I think then specifically Ryan, who probably has the most complicated, might recall from the story, and you'd see this portrayed in the film as well, that he had a, a you know, his girlfriend at the time was um, pregnant with his soon-to-be born son, Eric. And, um, you know, Eric is now 10 or 11. I know that is able to do, as I understand it, calls, video calls, and that's been very helpful. And without saying too much to also protect a little bit of the privacy of everybody is that Ryan is currently serving time now. He was in um, all the way in Arizona for quite some time, but he was able to get transferred to closer to home and where his family is, which is in the state of Florida. So that's been a real, I think, game changer for him. He's probably, I don't think he'd mind me saying this, but struggled the most in the sense that prison life's been really hard for him. I think his personality type, being the younger sibling, not that he isn't tough in his own way, but probably was the biggest empath of the group. So you can imagine adjusting to, you know, basically looking at the rest of your life in incarceration has been a really hard one for him. Without saying too much about this, but I know they mentioned this, a couple of the siblings have definitely struggled with drug use with how prison life works. But um, currently, I'm happy to say that everybody is clean and living a healthy lifestyle in that way for now, which is great. I know that that makes the rest of the family, you know, feel very good too. I've been also in touch in somewhat recent history also with their mother. You know, she is still very close with all of them, keeps in direct contact. I think without saying too much that, you know, she also views like, look, these are my kids and this is tragic. Uh, they, they, she acknowledges and knows they did some bad things, um, but I think she'd love to see them being able to make something of their lives and move on with their lives and 
come out of this better, more evolved, grown-up people, hopefully not serving as much time as they are. And I think that kind of brings us to one of the, the last points is, is there a way for them to maybe you know, hyper accelerate some of the time that they're serving so that they can have paid their debt to society, but actually do something in their lives and contribute to society. I know that's something that they all express wanting to do. I think for anybody who uh, gets the opportunity to really to have listened to the podcast can kind of see all shades and hues of it. I think that's what interested us in the story and myself as a filmmaker also was there was a lot of ambiguity in this. It's not a, the good guys are wearing white hats, the bad guys are wearing black hats. There's a lot of the in-between. I think seeing one of the big, I hate to use the word, but messages is that there are, there's a huge swath of the population that is very unrealized, that is very marginalized, uh, not listened to, not recognized. Yes, is maybe a listener could tell if anybody's interested in hearing this, I've gotten close with them. So it's challenging for me to separate myself at times, but we try to do our best with that and try to relay this story and their plight and their story also in the film telling as well so that the audience can kind of make up their own mind about it. Um, I think the big takeaway is that, yeah, please familiarize yourself if you've already listened to the podcast, obviously, but also getting a chance to see the film, uh, kind of see it traumatized and realize we try to keep as close to true events. Obviously, you have to truncate certain things because we're telling a story in a little less than two hours. But, uh, you know, hearing it from, shall we say, the horse's mouth of the people that lived the experiences, also looking at it from even the law enforcement side and the challenges they faced, and also kind of fulfilling them, portraying them, I hope, uh, to see fully complex characters. So it's not just like these federal agents just, you know, chasing the bad guy and how all that kind of, you know, comes into uh, focus and kind of a lens of, um, yeah, reality and discussion. So I think they've had a lot of time to think about what they did. I, I, not to make an excuse, but they were quite young when they made the decisions that they made. And again, I will say and underline this, that they deserve to pay for those mistakes that they made. But I think at this point, look, I think they've all been learning different vocations while in prison. And they all, even prior to prison, had certain skill sets uh, to where they could actually get decent jobs and, you know, still you know live a, a solid life in that way coming back together as a family and that appreciation for at the end of the day they're kind of all they have and being in each other's lives in in a realistic and tangible sense not behind bars not behind just letters that can get to each other every now and then and the occasional word from another family member is really important i do know i don't think i'm giving away too much of personal information but dylan has talked about an interesting kind of sense of humor about like oh maybe i'm Maybe I'll be too old to do it, but maybe I could still, like, you know, produce a, a child, an offspring, you know, or something. So I think that's something that they would like. But then, you know, I have to be honest with you. You can sense the tragedy and all because as much as there's dreams and if anybody's ever had the chance to talk to someone in prison, you know, I think there becomes this reality of like, man, time passes. People move on. Lives change. People that were in your life aren't in your life anymore. Can't can't necessarily and won't necessarily stand by you for that long period of time. Certain family members unfortunately pass and so things really do change i think for them it's, it's having solid jobs working making a clean living and you know also from a self standpoint if we can talk like that i think each of them the obvious thing just being happy and content and this is the most important thing i'll say being free it sounds so contrived to say that like of course they're in prison of course they want to be free but you know that's a big thing that we explore in the film but also we really touched on the podcast was we came to this conclusion through the journey of interviewing all the people and interviewing them that these were kids that were looking for freedom. They weren't looking for freedom to necessarily, let's do what we want, anarchy and cause havoc, to just have a break, to have the opportunity to like stretch their wings and live whatever their, the concept of the American dream might be, to be able to 
breathe, to be able to like kind of write your own ticket, to be able to work a hard day's work, but also get remunerated for that and not have everything constantly working against them. And I think that's a really important thing for them. And, and I think they still crave that in so many ways. And again, the irony is they, they went on this trip to begin with. They called it a trip, almost like a family trip. And it turned in and spun out of control into this, this crime spree. They were, you know, they were searching for something more, something better. And I think it's something that's innately in all of us as even Americans is that go west, young man, young woman, find your way, like make your way in the world and do something great and find freedom and breathe the clean air and, you know, and, and all that. And um, I think they're still searching for that. And unfortunately, I don't know if I can say if they'll ever truly find it. From the very first time you contacted them, what kind of growth have you seen from them already writing to you? Well, distinctly what I've seen, what I've had the opportunity to see, and even the blessing in some way, if you will, to see, um, which was not expected. I didn't know 100% what I was getting into when I got into this, to be honest with you. The objective was, you know, at the onset was like, well, there's an interesting story here. We identified, like, we should explore this and look at developing it. And then you never know when you go down these rabbit holes where it'll take you. And, And it's definitely, I had the interesting and good fortune to see was to, get to know Ryan, Dylan, and Grace, but see them, and that's not to make an excuse about anything, but they were young people, you know, um, Ryan being 19, I think Dylan being uh, like 23-ish, 24, and Lee Grace being a year older than that. You know, in many ways, you're still just finding your way in the world, you know, and um, and they still were kids, you know, they still were looking at it through that lens, and I think in some way there was an IA there. I think they started to, oh man, we screwed up, there's, you know, We've got a, a lot to take care of and pay for here. But at the same time, I don't think they realize what that would look like. And just time to think and to have, believe it or not, responsibilities in prison. I, I should say this, you know, they are, they each have jobs while in prison and they go to work. They have hours that they have to go and schedules that they have to adhere to. I think some of that is even for mental health. It keeps you kind of, again, their words kind of sane to have that to do. Um, and um, I think that's, really taught them a lot and they become adults and I've seen that growth. I think those are the, the major changes is, and, and really perspective, the opportunity to look back at what they did and go, man, like I, I, and I'm speaking as if I'm them, I can see why I made the decisions I made. I see where I, excuse my French, where I fucked up. And, but at the same time, how can I learn from that? How can I grow from that? And I think there are regrets. I think that again, it comes with digestion and meditation on, your life and what you've done. Um, I don't know if they would have made the same decisions. I kind of think they wouldn't have. I think the thing that is constant, for better or for worse, is to do almost anything to protect each other. Uh, we might remember from the podcast, and we touch on this in the um, in, in the movies, that they had a hard upbringing, an exceptionally hard upbringing. I won't give too much away about that. The sense of really being so tight-knit that they were very protective of each other, and that still, and that still remains. That has not wavered at all. So I think those are the... That's kind of the evolution that I've seen is, you know, the... You know, an interesting arc to see that, especially in this context of the exciting incident of all being them being on the run and eventually being captured, but spending this lengthy period of time and in, incarcerated. If I was going to break this down from an armchair psychologist standpoint of where things are today, what's new since we listened to the whole podcast and where we are today as of right now? What I've observed and noticed is that each one of these three siblings, their character has not necessarily changed. It's almost magnified over time. And in that, I find personally a bit of tragedy and sadness in seeing some of that. Uh, I don't mean to leave this on like a, a downer. From my perspective of having 
had the opportunity to know them this period of time. Uh, my responsibility as a writer is to try to observe the human condition, the human experience, and tell the story and get to know these characters. Uh, I am, again, not purporting myself to be kind of any kind of psychologist or an expert. I am not. Um, so this is just a layman's perspective. But I think just noticing the, the characters that we portray in the film that we also obviously get to know on the podcast, you, you kind of saw their rates magnified where they are today. This is what's different today is that uh, it's more. There's growth, so they become adults. But you still see those same characteristics of the, the young Dylan Lee Grayson Ryan. For example, Dylan. Dylan always had all the responsibility on his shoulders. He had to be the strong one. He had to take care of his younger siblings. So in doing so, you still see that now. Like he's he hasn't let the the, the system of you know incarceration or the prison break. He's he's found a way to thrive in there. As I was saying earlier, you'll hear him manning up and being a man. And I mean no disrespect in saying this. I, striving to be wanted, to be desired, someone who wants to fit in who is a very strong person, uh, but also is searching for something. You could feel that as a young person. Again, we see this in the movie, we hear this in the podcast, but is, but even today is searching for something, searching that connection, searching to be loved. And she's still doing that. She still is, I'm, I'm gonna be blunt here, but you know, I, I think Lee Grace is still even using, you know, her, there's a better, more appropriate way of saying this, but feminine ways to you know attract uh and connectivity on the outside and to communicate with people and have relationships and and that's very important to her that probably seems to be one of her driving cores in a way and, and i bring that up not that there's not more to who she is as a person and you, you know you still see the repercussions of that you know in her personality and how she conducts herself with interfacing with other people and then with ryan look you know he was the one that was a little more led he was led by the other two. He was, as the youngest, you know, constantly trying to pull himself up by his own britches or his siblings were trying to pull him up, if you can kind of picture that figuratively speaking, and trying to keep up. And you can still see that. I mean, he is a very, very smart person, actually. I would say he has a very high IQ, but also is, um, as much as he street smarts, there's certain categories where he still seems kind of kid-like. And... He's still trying to catch up. And I think that has made the prison experience in particular extremely difficult on him. I think he's had the hardest time. So those are the things that I've seen. And you look at them and I can still see the kids in them. I can still see the kids that had all the promise in the world. And I mean the kids even when they were kids, when we're talking about when they were seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, because we touch on all those things. And there's still hope and promise, but yet their situation, their familial situation and the things that they were dealing with personally and also again their station in life their their socioeconomic status their you know disintegration of the family nucleus all those things that contributed to you know not the best situation for growing up you can still see the remnants of that even as they are adults would love for you guys to see the film because it is based on a true story and true events and you know it's always what's behind the headlines that seems to be the most interesting the most important the most impactful while it's entertaining and dare I say it has all the salacious bells and whistles of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of this cross-country crime spree that was enacted by these three siblings, there's much more to the story. It impacted real lives and continues to impact real lives to this very day, including the real siblings who are currently uh, in prison for the rest of their lives for the most part. So love for you to take a look at it and kind of make your own 
opinion on your perspective on the Docrates and their story. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.